Welcome to Building and Protecting Your Business Worth podcast. This podcast is about sharing strategies and ideas to help business owners build, protect, and transition their businesses for the future while creating more balance in their life. Your host is Thomas J. Perone, CLU, CIC, and president of the New England Consulting Group of Guilford Incorporated, consulting business owners for over 50 years. Welcome to Building and Protecting Your Business Worth. Hi, I'm Tom Perone, and I'm your host. And this podcast is all about learning strategies to build your business, to create greater profit, but to create also an abundance of leisure time so you can enjoy what you're building. Today, we have a wonderful guest, and I would like to introduce to you, Karen Rands. Welcome to Building and Protecting Your Business Worth. Karen, thank you for stopping in today and talking to me. Absolutely, Tom. Very excited to be here. It's been a long time in the coming, and so we finally are getting to have this conversation. I'm, I'm excited. Well, I always enjoy the conversations we do have, Karen. Karen has the Compassion of Capitalist show, which is a phenomenal show. And she'll tell you more about it, but her background is amazing in economics, math, the whole deal. She'll tell you about it, but she's pretty modest. She's got a good story. But I got to tell you, she helps a lot of companies raise capital. We're going to learn about that today. Karen, let's get right into it. Um, Let's let's first of all talk about um, what why the heck did you get into this profession? <laughs> that is, you know, the the whole a uh, adage, you know, uh, the long and winding road, and uh, you know, I I had gone I well, you keep a story short, but it, it's important to sort of understand when you when I was a little girl, <laughs> I had this dream of that someday when I grew up, I don't know what TV show I was watching at the time or whatever gave me this idea because where I was living um, would never, I was never exposed to that kind of stuff. But uh, I had this dream that I was going to be someday um, traveling the world, helping businesses and, and like the wealthy people of the world figure out how to buy, build, create businesses and and move and use their money to create business and fast forward i i went to when i college i got an mba and with the intention to get the law degree at the same time so i would be able to have the right um skill set for that but by the time i got to grad school i was done with school and i worked for ibm for um great great 13 years there my last job was right at the height of the dot-com era. And my task, it was a complex opportunity business manager, was to help these fledgling startups, these fledgling complex sort of new innovative things that they were doing, new products they were doing to get like the IBM seal of approval so that they could go out and get venture capital money and then come back and spend it with IBM on their gear because um, IBM had realized they were missing out on, you know, the Ebays and the Amazons and these these various companies that were really gaining momentum right at the beginning of the dot com era. And uh, so I left. And uh, this is the funny story I tell. If you if your fans are familiar with um, Animal House, the movie. So you know, at the end of that movie, the band is 
is going down the road and they they turn into the dead end alley and they're all banging into the wall and they're just keep going into the wall. Well, so I was sitting there at IBM saying, oh, my God, look at all this exciting stuff. All these people are, you know, all this great innovation and these things. It was just like I, I was juiced on it. And I said, you know, I have to be in that parade and not watch that parade go by. So I decided I was going to leave my illustrious career at IBM and I was going to jump on the bandwagon of this and help this one company that I had been working with in IBM. We'd done the seal of approval thing, go out and raise their capital so that they would, you know, that, and I was going to be his director of marketing and his capital person and all this kind of stuff. And he really, truly had an incredible, incredible technology that he had developed. So I jumped out, did that. And this is January 2000. So, you know, first bubble, there were two bubbles going on. There was the dot-com bubble that was bursting. And then there was my IBM sheltered bubble of what I thought I knew what capital was <laughs> because I didn't even know there was a dot-com thing bursting. That's how little I actually knew about the capital markets when I left IBM. And I never had actually heard the term angel investing when I first left IBM. I thought all money, like a lot of entrepreneurs do, is all money is venture capital money. And I got introduced to this angel investor group. And ultimately, the founder of that group needed somebody to help him run the group and then ultimately take over so he could retire. I became that girl and uh, or that person. And uh, the rest is somewhat history. Wow. That's quite a, well, if anybody knows you, they know that you're up for a challenge and a, and a, and a bet, you know, so you're, you're, you jump in the foxhole on those things. Um, and it's amazing how much passion you have in this area because we've had good discussions about angel investing. And I learned a lot from you, but you know, every business industry has trends. What's what, what trends right now, you see impacting in capital, getting capital, angel investing? Well, I would say that this notion of a unicorn is something that has um, had a ripple effect through the industry. And so it, it and I'm sure some of your guests, uh, some of your listeners have heard the, con the, the idea about valuation and creating a valuation of a company. And, you know, it's based on, Traditionally, you think of valuation is based off of these tangible measurements of, of profits or, you know, assets or, you know, their customer base. There's these things that you can put a financial measurement on that, you know, creates this valuation. And when they go public, it's their market cap. It's how much, how much, how much stocks are trading and a lot of those kind of issues. But when it comes to private companies, this notion of a unicorn and the the term for those folks that aren't familiar with that it it was um it was i forget exactly who originally coined it uh but it it was somebody in silicon valley and they never believed that they would see a startup that had a billion dollar valuation and they said it would be like seeing a unicorn right and, and it's like it's so unusual so rare, like impossible to see a startup or an early stage private company have a billion dollar valuation. So we'll call them that a unicorn. And then they started happening. And now, you know, they track it. Here's 300 unicorns. You know, there's a there's lists and people track that stuff. And so now when earlier state or companies are starting out, they're always they feel pressure to sort of figure out I'm going to be a unicorn. Right. And then and the the misnomer in that or the i guess the fairy tale that goes along with that is that 
a lot of this valuation of these companies that are unicorns is not because of the value proposition they have in the marketplace. It's not because of the revenue they're generating, their profit model, or even their customer base that could, you know, eventually it might become uh, something that they monetize, right? Eventually it becomes something and they can become huge. But for those many years where they're not making any money, but they get more and more money put into them, the money becomes the money that's been put into them is what creates their valuation of being a billion dollar company. It's not necessarily their, their market. That's why you see some of these companies then go public and crash and burn like a Snapchat because they really didn't have a business model that sustained this notion of them being a billion dollar company. And so that has had this sort of um, like a roots going down into the industry because there's so much money that can be made by investors and entrepreneurs if they go for, you know, I'm going to be a, a $50 million company that gets bought by somebody in this period of time. And I'm going to create a good return for my investors, a good return for me as a founder. And I'm going to create wealth from that. And, and without the notion of I have, to, I have, in order to be relevant, I have to become a unicorn company. And I, I think that's probably one of the areas that, um, I believe it's going to get adjusted. It's starting to see some of that here lately because it's just been inflated. So it's the valuations that's probably impacting it the most. Yeah. I remember in the late nine, 1990s, 1999, all of a sudden these, and the question was, well, where are these people getting all of their, their money? I mean, how do they make their, like Google when they first came out, well, how are they doing this? You know, how, and um, it's almost like I, I the state I live in said we had a great, we have a billion dollar surplus, but they, I don't think they forgot to tell everybody that they got a lot of money from the government, but they count that as though they made revenue. And that's like a company getting loans to work with and they call it revenue. Uh, and I know exactly what you're saying. I didn't know it was that big though, Karen. I didn't know that it was a trending type of thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, what what are the the key issues in your business that kind of you have to really stay up on as a as an entrepreneur? Well, I think you know when it comes to my, what I do as my business, helping entrepreneurs that are in this critical kind of capital abyss after going through a startup and they need to figure out a way to scale and get the money to do that, right? And it's and it's tied into um, what I've tried to do with my book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, and that is, you know, bring more net new capital into the market, create this idea of compassionate capitalism and get the um, retail investor, if you will, the guy that is smart about stock market investing, maybe has some real estate assets and be able to, you know, I thought when Jobs Act came out and the crowdfunding, what we call the great democratization of the capital markets, because now anybody could be, in effect, an angel investor. Just depends on the amount of capital, their risk tolerance, you know, just, you know, it dictates the stage of company that they would invest in or the type of company. And I thought there would be all these people would be like, oh, you mean I could buy stock in a company before it goes public, before it gets bought? I didn't know I could do that. 
But what's happened, and, and like people would want to get the education to learn how to do that. And therefore, you would have businesses in your community, businesses that aren't going to be unicorns, but they're going to make money, businesses that have been making money, but struggle to get money from a bank or a VC or a private equity fund to go to that next level of growth. They would have access to all types of capital from investors that were savvy about that. And it was a win-win because people that, that, you know, they would have another asset class that had potential to accelerate beyond what public stocks or real estate could do in creating wealth for them and also create all the jobs and create, bring that innovation to market and all that kind of stuff. And what ends up happening is um, the shiny new thing became the ICO. And then now it's NFTs, non-fungible tokens, and ICOs is um, is your uh, uh, initial coin offering that's under like a cryptocurrency thing. Those became the shiny new object that that got a lot of people's attention. It got a lot of media attention. It got a lot of stuff. Whereas crowdfunding or direct direct public offerings directly connecting with your investors in a private way where you still have the ability to accelerate is the best kept secret in the marketplace and it really concerns me that you know we have this incredible tool to create wealth for individuals you know as and participate in something that they can be really passionate about and helping these entrepreneurs without all the risk of being an entrepreneur and we have all these companies that have potential to excel and they can just get access to additional capital and we would never have any economic problems in the united states if we could just figure out how to do that but you know the whole idea of you know buying a coin that's going to go up and the hype along with all that stuff is um it's a concern to me so i have to stay up on that so i can be able to compare it to traditional investing and understand how it Im impacts the markets and along those lines this is that's the thing that i really try to i'm learning more about now yeah and and yeah i, I understand how you'd have to keep up because it's, things that are trending that take you off your focus are not helpful, but you need to know about them because they are trending. Hey, um, Karen, um, let's let's say I'm I'm a client. Let's start with what do you do for me as a client? Bring me down the steps of how you help me. So you want uh, as an entrepreneur or as an investor or both? Yeah, I'm an entrepreneur and I have a company. Now it's time I realize I got to grow and I've been referred to you and your firm. So how does this start off and where does it end up? Well, if a company um, has, if a company is my, it's sort of my sweet spot because these are the companies that get the least amount of help and struggle probably the most are those companies that figured out a way to raise um, some money as uh, in an angel round, a seed round, a series A, that first money in, they raised that first million dollars that got their product to market, got them into revenue, got them even into profit. And, um, and you know, they're, they have this notion that if I just do the right things, if I continue to grow my revenue, then money's going to come to me and I'm going to be able to go out and I'm going to be worthy of it and I'll be able to raise more capital and go out and continue to grow my business. 
And the uh, reality is that it's hard to raise capital and there's a lot of competition seeking capital. And so, and it's a noisy marketplace for those people that are actively involved in investing in entrepreneurs and look at lots and lots of deals. So, you know, it, it, the, the, it, they're, each one of them has their own challenges, but part of what ends up happening when a company is, has already raised some money and is going at it and they've been in business for a few years, they've reached the, the, what, the golden ticket of a few million dollars in revenue. And then they realize that for whatever reason, they're not in the, the line of sight for a venture capital next round or they're not able to go back to the angels because now they've progressed enough or they've been too slow. You know, that's why VCs will do it. They don't, they're not growing fast enough. They're not going to be that unicorn. You know, they're not accelerating. They're in the wrong industry, whatever. There are lots of different types of business models and they're not big enough for private equity funds. And they're, um, they don't, they need more money than what they could qualify for, for a bank loan. And so where do they go? They just sort of get frustrated and struggle with that. So what I do is I look at them, I make sure that they have the mindset to understand what it's going to take and they're willing to do the work to be prepared to receive the capital because they might, what, what, what they have to say and what they have to, how they have to present themselves at that stage of a company is different than what a startup presents, right? A startup has a different messaging strategy than, you know, for their target investor than somebody that's in that particular type of stage. And so I help them figure out what they need to say, how they need to structure it, how they need to go about targeting their investors, grow their brand, grow their marketplace, grow their revenue through a program that gives them two birds for, you know, one stone that's says, I'm going to use my marketing outreach to not only reach new customers and grow my revenue and my market presence, but also attract the investors. And then that also, the third benefit of that is it sets them up for an acquisition, which is the most likely exit, because now they're, they get on the radar of those hedge funds and the private equity funds that are acquiring companies or even a corporate company that is looking for, you know, a certain state, a certain stage of company that's got a certain, you know, level of market. They can qualify for corporate equity funds. They can qualify for a lot of other types of, of money that they don't even know exists out there that they wouldn't qualify as a, as a pure startup. And it's just, you know, becomes a win-win that helps them propel their business to be a sustainable, you know, multi-million dollar, you know, 10, 20, 30 million dollar company that they can then go and sell. So I, I create, I'm the quarterback of doing that. I have teams and joint venture partners that ha- are experts in different aspects of that. And I quarterback that and run the campaign to syndicate them, their investor relations, their all the stuff that they need to establish good relationships with their investors, make sure their past investors are happy and make sure and make it compelling for people to feel comfortable investing with them, even though they may never meet them, just like they would a private company. I mean, with a public company, a public company, you never meet the company when you go to invest in them. So that's the mindset they have to come about on how they're going to engage their potential investors and be able to convert them into buyers. And that's that's the the problems that I solve for those kind of companies. You spend a lot of time with the companies. It's a, period, a long period of time, huh? Yeah, because they have to be, the worst thing you could do is spend a lot of money and time trying to go after capital. And then you have these 
clearly could be fixed red flags. And once you're at the table and you're starting the due diligence and an investor discovers that, you can't go back. Oh, sorry. Now I got it fixed. Come back to the table. I don't come back to the table. No, that, does, that doesn't work too well. There's um, I got four questions I want to ask you in our remaining time. Okay. You know, we've been talking about angel investing, but it just occurred to me that there might be people listening that don't know what an angel investor is. Can you describe that for us? So the original term of angel investing started back in the 1930s, you know, prior to when the Securities Act started. But it was originally for patrons of the arts was the original term of where angel investing came from. And then it evolved over time with the great wealth creation in the Gilded Age, if you will. And when they started the securities because the DuPonts and the Gettys and those folks, the the flagglers of of the world at that time wanted to have a way to invest in each other's businesses and privately without the scrutiny of the government to be able to move it forward, to move those businesses forward. And they create their wealth that you still hear about today. And so fast forward, it became during the dot-com era and leading up to it with all the technology, even back to like HP and Intel before the dot-com, you know, they were, they, they were a lot of, of it, what the ultra wealthy investing in other businesses that they saw potential for them to go ultra wealthy. So it was like a very exclusive club that you really never heard about. It was just the wealthy creating more wealth for themselves by having a piece of these companies that had great potential to, to exceed and become the name brand public company that you know about today. And almost every company you can think of out there that you would you know, buy something of had angel investors in them in order to become the company that they are now. So what changed was in it with crowdfunding, it became clear in the collapse of the stock market and the real estate market in the Great Recession, it became clear that there was a lot of company people willing to buy product that was unproven you know, and, but they never received the benefits. These companies, the uh, VR goggles, the the 3D printers, drones, they were all started with people putting money in there for product. And when those companies became $100 million companies, they became unicorns. Those people that put millions of dollars into them, you get reap no benefits of it other than I got an early product, right? So the rules changed and allowed anybody to participate in investing in those companies. And so, Angel investor has become a much broader term. It, it, it still has this um, uh, like a, you know, misnomers to it. There's some misinformation about it, but it's a much broader term. And it's really anybody that buys equity of a company when they're private before they've gone public. And they, you know, at the, when they're a wholesale stock versus a retail stock, to my definition, that is an angel investor. Yeah. So that's a, uh... Yeah, when I started learning more about it, I said, I can see some great opportunities for people who uh, don't want to start up their own company, but can be part of it as long as they had some capital. Um, you know, you wrote a great book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing. Tell us a little bit about it and how people can get that book, Karen. Sure thing, Tom. Thank you. Uh, it is a step-by-step guide for people to figure out, would you, should you, could you be an angel investor? 
So what is what does it mean to become an angel investor? What does it take? What you know, you have to develop a skill set to do that, just like you do, you're gonna do your own stocks and you're gonna do your own real estate investing. You need to become knowledgeable about the marketplace. And then I have a, a portal that comes with it that has tools on it for in for people to decide, well, this is how much wealth I have, this is how much liquidity I have, extra cash on hand, and this is so this is how much I'm willing to risk to put into this kind of an investment. And it helps them figure out based on their risk tolerance, their knowledge of the marketplace, where should they look to invest, what kind of stage should they look at, all of those kinds of things that go into the process of creating your sort of avatar of how you want to be an investor. And the whole goal is to take some of the 7 million accredited investors, those are people that are making over $350,000 a year on a W-2, less than 3% of them play in angel investing and bring more of those into the marketplace to feel comfortable about investing in entrepreneurs. And also the millennials that aren't accredited investors necessarily might be making 150 or 200,000. They are completely comfortable for the idea of crowdfunding and they want to learn how to invest in these companies a little bit every month to build a portfolio of potential companies that could be really huge and give them significantly more return than their 401k were, would. And uh, that's what the book does. Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, you can get it on Amazon or to get more information about it, see excerpts, get a, uh, it's, there's 44 Inside Secrets in the book. That's from my, my years of working with angel investors when I ran the Angel Investor Club down here in Atlanta. And uh, it's uh, you can go to Inside Secrets to angelinvesting.com and it will and you can get that information or just find it on Amazon. I will put make sure I have all your contact information in the summary of the notes and also where they can get these things, Karen. Karen, I gotta thank you for taking your time to visit with us. And there's so much more about what you do. And the one thing about Karen I really like is she's so focused. She's passionate. She's very bright, but she focuses on angel investing, and, and she, she's she's a, she's an expert. And Karen, I would also suggest that if someone wanted to talk to you personally, they can email you and set up a time to talk a little bit about angel investing. Oh, sure. Actually, to make it real easy, they can just find a time on my calendar that works for them, and that uh, you're familiar with Bitly, bit.ly slash call with Karen and all little letters. And uh, you'll go to my calendar and just set up a time and let's chat. All right. Well, we're going to do that. So Karen, thanks again for spending time with us. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Tom. Well, I want to thank everybody for tuning in and listening. It was a good show today. And uh, if you would help us out by subscribing, click a like, uh, if you have any ideas or thoughts that you would like to share with us, please email me at tperone, that's P-E-R-R-O-N-E, at N-E-C-G-G-I-N-C dot com. And if you are a business owner or you know business owners that would like to participate on our show, certainly let me know. We certainly welcome everyone who is a business owner to help people out there that are running businesses with great ideas and strategies to make them successful. So again, thanks for tuning in. I certainly appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in. Whenever you're ready to grow and protect your business while creating more balance in your life, here are three steps you can take. One, 
subscribe to this podcast. To request a free copy of Tom's newly published book, Unlocking Your Business DNA, email Tom at tperone at necgginc.com. And on the subject line, type DNA. Include your mailing address. And thirdly, take the one-minute scorecard and report to see how efficient you are in your business planning. Email tperone at necgginc.com and request scorecard. For additional information, click the show notes.